Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. I'm Kim Thompson-Pinder, the extraordinary word ninja and founder of RTI Publishing, where we work with you to ghostwrite and publish your signature book that will double your business by attracting clientele and position you as the go-to expert in your niche. Next, we will show you how to use your book to make lead generation and conversion a snap while building an audience. My guests include professionals, entrepreneurs, and coaches who use their skills to build people powerfully. They will share their story and powerful tips that will help you live better. They will also share their writing journey and how it has impacted their life and the lives of their readers. If you've ever wondered if writing a book makes a difference, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today we are doing part two of a wonderful series that I've been doing with Jason Cutter. And Jason is the CEO of Cutter Consulting. And we had an amazing conversation on the last episode, which ended with talking about assuming the sale. So Jason, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Kim. I'm excited for seeing where part two goes. <laughs> and, you know, in part one, we, we kind of talked about a lot of different things, including Jason's journey to becoming a sales consultant, including tagging great white sharks. That was very interesting. So if you missed part one, you're going to want to go back and listen to that. But in today's episode, we want to focus in on some of the processes because we, we talked in general about sales and about entrepreneurs and how sometimes we're afraid, you know, to take that next step. You know, we get, we get the relationship part, you know, we're learning how to sell and be authentic, but there's that fear of taking it to the next step. And so in this episode, we're going to focus in on, you know, how do you, what's the process of these conversations? What does it look like? And then how do you get it to that sales point? So Jason, why don't you just take a quick moment again, because if someone didn't hear the first episode, and just do a really quick introduction of yourself. Sure. So I am a sales consultant. So I have my company. I help sales teams and individuals with improving their selling effectiveness. Generally, it's people who are selling over the phone, but to me, sales is sales. So any salesperson selling anything, either to consumers or businesses, help with anything from scripts to, to mindset, to coaching, to technology. And my book that's coming out, Selling with Authentic persuasion is based on the fact that for me, I wasn't a natural born salesperson. So I have my bachelor's degree in marine biology, did not grow up in a, I actually grew up in an anti-sales household where my mom <laughs> as a banker, she saw the scams and she saw people who were ripped off by being in a bank and had to deal with all of those fraud claims all the time. And so she saw salespeople, especially bad ones, as evil and something to be weary of. And so that's what I grew up in. I didn't grow up in a sales household. And yet here I am. And I think there's a lot of power in that. And that's what I help people embrace is not having to feel like you had to be naturally born or naturally gifted to be effective in sales. So how does your mom feel about you now? I mean, so here's the thing, right? So she does not like 
dishonest, bad people who are manipulating and trying to get their own benefit. She appreciates and loves good customer service. She loves a good salesperson, right? So, so for example, when I was a kid, you know, only child, didn't have a choice, had to, you know, go with my parents wherever they went. Every few years, we would go buy a car. And many times on a Sunday evening, I would spend four or five hours at a dealership in the lobby or in the waiting area watching TV while my mom is literally battling back and forth with some car salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. Who's trying to get one over on her and she doesn't want to get get taken advantage of. And so it's back and forth, right? Even bringing in the manager, let me go talk to my manager, like all of those tricks that they use. And so, but my mom has bought cars from other people who, you know, they care, they ask questions, they give her a good deal. It's a relationship, kind of what we talked about in part one, where it's a long-term thing where you're they're doing the right thing mm -hmm. for a customer and then hoping to get referrals. My mom loves that. And in fact, when I started working in restaurants as a waiter, I would explain things to my mom and then she saw uh, things different from the inside of working in a restaurant, even mm -hmm. though she hadn't. And so she, as a customer, became totally more empathetic, a much bigger tipper, much nicer to servers because <laughs> I had gone through that. And so she's open to it. She likes people. She just doesn't like manipulative people with bad intent. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I know that you've come prepared to talk more about the processes of sales. So I'm going to let you loose again to share and then we will talk about that. And then at the end, we're going to talk about your new book coming out and your writing journey. All right. So the fundamental thing that I teach everyone, I think it applies. Like I I consider this the sales success fundamentals is for me, every successful sales process, every successful persuasion kind of situation involves five parts. And the key is they must be done in order and they must be done completely. Those five parts are rapport, empathy, trust, hope, and urgency. Mm -hmm. And so the key is that order too. And, and it's funny because it doesn't spell anything good or sexy. Like refue <laughs> is the best I can come up with. I came up with that 10 years ago. And you know, you always want to have something catchy where it's like, oh, cool. This is my five-step method. And it spells out this fan. Nope. I, I literally can't massage it. I can't change the terms. It's a mess, but it works. So that's what I've got. I, I've tried and it, it just, I, I can't change it. So the key is that, you know, we talked about this in part one, building the rapport, you know, starting off in some way. Now, here's where the challenge, like we also talked about last time, which is some people spend too much time in rapport. They end up with no sales and new Facebook friends and new, new recipes they didn't know about and new restaurants or new sports they're going to check out, but no sales. And so you've got to do the rapport step but you can't live in the rapport step. And rapport True. is also something you're sprinkling throughout, right? You know, kind of going back to what I talked about in the last one as well, is using the medical profession and a doctor mm -hmm. as an example. We've all had experiences where we've gone to a doctor that has a terrible bedside manner because there's no rapport. Mm -hmm. There seems to be no empathy. They're all business and it's terrible. They might be very effective, but it doesn't leave you with a good experience. Yes, they yes. might be the world's best brain surgeon, but you still don't like them right? You're thankful, yeah. <laughs> but you don't like them and you don't really want to buy from them again. Hopefully you don't have to go to a brain surgeon again, but like we've all had that. And so you want to make sure you do the right amount of rapport, not too much and not too little, whatever it, it is necessary for what you're selling and who the other person is and what's natural. 
Then the next part is empathy. And you can't just tell people you care. Hey, Kim, I really care about you. Would you like to buy? No, like that doesn't work. It also doesn't work to say, hey, Kim, you can trust me. I'm a good guy. No, yeah, because that's With that what... big smile on your face as the person goes, you slimy. <laughs> right, you can't. Like people who say you can trust me, that's the indication that you can't trust them because uh, if you could trust them, they wouldn't have to ask for it, right? So, and they wouldn't have to tell you either. And they wouldn't have to tell you it's coming. And they wouldn't tell you, I care about you. Like, okay, what's the catch? Like there's something weird about this. And so what I found the best way to do it, and again, any kind of sale, you could be selling software to businesses or you know, to individual, uh, individuals selling them something, is that to do the empathy step is about asking questions and then understanding the other person. I talked about mm-hmm. this last time, where it's about uncovering what, what makes them tick, what they want, why they want it, what wakes them up at two o'clock in the morning, what are they hoping to accomplish mm-hmm. relative to whatever it is you're selling. And so when you do that, it shows empathy because you're asking, they're telling you, and it fundamentally satisfies the thing that most people know about, but they forget is that people don't know how much you care until they, you know, they, they know, they, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, care. Yeah. right? Because a lot of salespeople start out of the gate with, hey, how are you? Let's build a little report. Now let me give you my long monologue and read from my brochure and read from how awesome I am and all of my stats and how great my company is and what kind of clients I've helped. And they go into all these things and nobody cares. Blah, your, your blah, prospects blah. And yeah. Blah. And, and I go to a lot of trade shows and I help my clients actually sell more effectively from trade shows from, you know, back when that was legal, when you could actually go to shows and, and talk to people and, and meet people is that, you know, you walk up to a booth and the first thing somebody does is they just instantly start giving this long monologue about what they do. And then three minutes later, you realize, wait, I don't want this, nor is it a good fit. And you just, they just wasted their time. They just wasted your time. So for me, I usually don't even explain anything about what I do until I've asked questions and understood if it makes sense to even go that route and then do it. I've got a great example for you. Yeah. I've got a great example for you. So I was in a, a cosmetic MLM company for a long time. It was a great way for me to earn money, you know, when my kids were, were younger. And I was at a, a vendor show, so similar to a trade show. And I was just walking around because I needed to take a break. Like, you, sometimes you just have to get out of the yeah. booth, right? Like, and so I was just taking, I was just meandering. You know, I wasn't really looking to buy anything. But I like talking to the other vendors and see how their day's going. So a lady stopped me and she was from a competitor company, sold the same type of products. And she went in, she didn't ask me who I was, didn't talk to me. She know what she went into full scale, you know, sales mold mode. And I said to her, I said, well, you know, I'm with this company. Like I told her which company I'm with and she knew the name. Right. And she's like, well, you can still buy a lipstick from me. And I'm like, okay, let me ask you a question. I said, let's say I bought your lipstick and I put it on and someone who knows that I sell for this particular company likes it. And then I tell them it's from a competitor company. I said, how does that make me look? She's like, oh, that would be amazing. I would get more sales. I thought, oh, lady. (laughs) 
And, and to me, when I hear that, that triggers two things. One is uh, the epitome of, or a great example of when somebody's doing it wrong sales-wise, and it's all about them and not about you. And then also one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like somebody who sells MLM type products mm-hmm. and that kind of approach and attitude, which is everybody should be buying from me no matter what. And, you know, when I did shows, I did a ton. I mean, I was doing probably 40, 50 vendor shows a year, sometimes more. You know, if someone, if I got talking to someone and they were from a different company, I never tried to sell them anything. I just enjoyed the conversation. You know, if it was really slow at my table, you know, because usually about mid-afternoon, it always slows down. So you go talk to people, right? And my, I would just really enjoy the conversation and we'd get into good conversations about, you know, how do you sell? How do you create relationships? And it came out that it actually became very collaborative because sometimes they sold maybe similar products, but there might be a product that they sell that my company doesn't. So it actually became a collaborative process. And sometimes we actually did end up buying from each other, but it was a friendship and a relationship. Right. And it was a referral thing because if someone asked me, you know, for that product that I knew that other lady sold because she treated me with respect and relationship, I would say to her, you know what? I don't sell it, but I know who does. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, the key with that, which is what I focus on and help people understand, and it it divides that persuading people, the right people to move forward versus manipulating everybody to move forward is coming from a place of abundance and understanding Mm -hmm. that 8 billion people on the planet, there's more than enough for everybody. You don't need all of them to be successful. And so there's more than enough to go around. And when it's the right person for your product or service, then it should be a no-brainer. And if it's the wrong person, then wish them well. Exactly. All right, I'll let you continue. I know you have some more to share there. So, no, and, and that's great. And I, I think that's important because that goes into this next part, which is, you know, we're, we're asking questions, we're uncovering. By doing that, we're building empathy. One of the things I tell people all the time to do if you're in sales is talk less. Most people talk a lot. They do their monologues. They're talking too much. As my grandma used to say, you have two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as much as you talk. Yes. Salespeople, unless you're doing a demo, unless you're doing like a here's how everything works, let me show you under the hood type of demo, your prospect, your prospective customer should be talking two thirds of the time and you should be talking one third of the time. Most salespeople are worried about that because they feel like it's their job to lecture and, and, and educate and, you know, persuade. It's really not like you do it correctly. The other person will persuade themselves, which is what you want. You want them to buy from you. You don't ever want to have to sell them on why they should buy from you. And to do that, the best way is ask lots of questions. When in doubt, if it feels like you're, asking, you're talking too much, ask more questions. And so when you do that and they're talking about themselves, they feel like you care and then they feel like they can trust you mm-hmm. without you having to say, you can trust me. It's okay, Kim. I care about you. I will help you. Don't worry. Right? So you don't have to do those things or feel like you have to memorize certain like transitions or closing tactics. And then once they trust you and you under, you uncover what we talked about in the last episode, which is why do they want what you have? Then the next part is the hope stage, right? Which mm-hmm. is, okay, based on your situation, I have the solution. Mm-hmm. I have what you need. 
I can get you there or I can help you buy or I can whatever it is that you're selling. Um, and with that, I have the solution <laughs> for you. And yeah. then the last part is the urgency, which is when is the time to do something? It's always right now. Now, of course, yeah. there's times where there's financial issues, there's logistical things, maybe it's not the best, but you should always be assuming that the time for someone to buy from you is right now. And yes. primarily because like we talked about in the last episode, we all have this primal part of our brain that wants to keep us safe in our comfort zone and literally doing the same thing all day, every day, because outside of that is change. Change equals death. The problem is, is your prospects are in that same mode and buying from you equals change. Because yes. if it wasn't changed, they would have ordered it online or bought it the way they always do and they wouldn't have needed a salesperson, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny when you think about it, people don't like change so much. They don't like changing the brands they use, even of consumer goods, right? Like, yo, they buy the same paper towel and then now the store's out of that paper towel and I have to make another choice. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like our brain is like freaking out. And some people really stress out and be like, oh my gosh, uh, is, is this going to work? Um, they ran out of Coke. What am I going to do without my Coke? Right. They, they, yeah. What, what, what's, what else is there? I, like, might have to I drink guess I Pepsi. could try something else. <laughs> yeah. I got to drink Pepsi, but is it going to be as good? And I heard people say they don't like it. And what about this? And am I going to like it? And that sounds silly and ridiculous, but people have that same battle right? Mm -hmm. um, it's usually a smaller scale. I mean, you buy a new pack of gum that you've never tried before and you don't like it. That was a dollar and it's yeah. not at the end of the world. But that same part of our brain is going to freak out when you try to get them to buy. And your job as a sales professional is to help mitigate that change, that, that yes. aversion to change and help them understand that it's safe and that you can do it. That's where you've got to do those stages. And then the urgency part is the, they got to do it right now, right? Again, with the right intentions from the right place that you care about them, you're going to actually help them. Yes. Right. But the time is now, because if you don't, they put their head back in their sand, uh, in the sand, their, their brain uh, gets a hold of them and tells them, whew, we dodged a bullet by not buying today. We could have died. And so it's a good thing and make sure, you know, and I, I tell people this all the time. I say your prospects will go into the prospect witness protection program where literally you'll never hear from them again because their brain said, whew, we dodged a bullet. They're literally change your phone number to do not answer. And like, you'll just never hear from them again if you're not careful. Yeah. 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 And I, I liked what you said about the listening. And I'm sure you get this a lot, but people say to me, Kim, you're such an amazing communicator. Like, I love talking to you. And that's because I let them do about 95% of the talking. Mm -hmm. And like 100%. you said, you ask questions. And when so and what I do is I ask a lot of questions. But when I say something, I make sure it's strong and impactful. And I give them something that is valuable. And that's why they're like, oh, Kim, I love talking to you. Yep. I loved listening to you. <laughs> I don't the, say but the that, key but is that's in the my, truth, right? <laughs> and in my experience of you and the conversations we've had prior to this is you do that and you do it in the proper order. So there's a lot of people that come out of the gate and be like, I'm an authority. I know my stuff. So let me tell you how to do things right? Versus like what you do in particular, Kim, which is tell me about your journey. How's it going with writing a book? What are you doing? Oh, hey, 
based on that, have you thought about this? Are you working on this? Have you like, you're then prescribing something specific with some advice or knowledge or a little nugget of information and not with any intent to sell, but just like, Hey, based on what you said, I've got some value I can give you. And then, you know, uh, if it made sense, you could move that forward. Exactly. Exactly. So let's start talking about your book. So first of all, give us the title of the book again, because we, we did it in part one. And then tell us a little bit, you know, what has been sort of the good, bad and ugly of doing this book? <laughs> okay, so the title is Selling with Authentic Persuasion. And the subtitle is Transform from Order Taker to Quota Breaker, which between those two things just describes it all and everything from this episode and the last one. I mean, that's, that's, those are the highlights of it, but just goes into more detail. Now, the journey I wanted to write a book. I started writing a book in 2009 about a completely different topic, gave up, got in my head, you know, the doubts, the fears, the worries, who, who am I to write a book? What do I even know? Uh, that, that shelf to that project. And so that one didn't happen. And then fast forward to a year, let's say two years ago, then I got the idea that I wanted to write this book, write a sales book. I got some help with the process, got a framework to help me get out of my head and just kind of like the formula, wrote it, wrote it really quick, part-time while working. Mm -hmm. I woke up early and two hours a day, I wrote the, I wrote 60,000 words in six weeks wow. while working. So I just, I just dumped out of my head. It's something I know. I just dumped it out, got, did some editing, printed it out, you know, just roughly on my side, read through it and was like, this is garbage. I don't like it. This is crap. <laughs> and I know everyone says that because I know enough people to know that that's what people say. And I read it and I'm like, I don't even like it. And it's not that I doubted it was going to be good. That's a whole different voice in my head. But literally I'm reading through, I'm like, it doesn't make sense. Like, what's the point? How do I even describe it? I couldn't, I couldn't describe the value to anybody. And so I sat on it for about six months and then got reinvigorated to work on it about a year ago and wrote it from scratch a second time. Mm -hmm. I copied and pasted some of it. I probably used about 10, 15,000 words, but then in another six weeks from scratch, part-time wrote another 56,000 mm -hmm. words in a more cohesive, like here's a blueprint, here's a plan. Yeah. And what's crazy, I still had no title. Going through editing, printing it up on my side, pen and paper, going through it, I had no title. And then I sat on it for another three months where it sat on my desk, no title, no idea of like, What's, but what's the point? And here I was again, I was like, what's the point? And then one morning out of the blue, it hit me authentic persuasion as the framework of what I've always done that I could never put my finger on as a salesperson and as a coach and consultant. And as soon as that hit me, I'm literally buying the domains, like sitting on the floor on my phone, buying the URLs, coming up with the title of the book, putting it together, getting websites you know, started to be built. And then it hit me and then I molded the book again didn't delete it. I just like kind of reorganized it and, and, you know, touched it up such that it fit that framework. And then from that moment, it felt really easy and it felt like the right thing. So here's some of the things I can pull out of your story is the book writing process brings a lot of clarity. Mm -hmm. See, the first time you did it, you didn't have as much clarity. So you wrote, wrote what you knew. But writing it the first time and then going back and reviewing it, and then you let it sit for a while. So when you did it the second time, you had a ton more clarity. 
but you didn't have the title because that last clarity piece was still being transformed in you. And this is something that many authors go through. Even when, you know, we're working with clients, it is a clarity process throughout the entire writing of the book. And just so you know, it's not unusual not to get to the end of the book and still have no idea what to call it. It has happened many times. Now, not as so much so with the clients we work with because, you know, I've been through this process many times before. So usually I don't always hit the title, but what I'm really good at is I give the, I give the clients things to think about, you know, and some title suggestions and some words to play around with. And as they think about that, a lot of times the clarity comes. Now, sometimes we make a suggestion it's the right one, but a lot of times it's us kind of starting the ball rolling and allowing the client to sit and think about it and process it and get that clarity. And then they'll call us and they'll say, you know, I was thinking of three titles, A, B, and C, and I'm like, it's A. They're like, <laughs> how do you know? I just know. The title is A. And it's always the first one they tell me. Because they, they come up with a couple other ones. Like the first one was the one that really resonated, but they think, oh, well, maybe I should try. Think of no, it was the no. first one. <laughs> yep. And, you know, it's funny with your book, and, and we had this conversation sort of in the pre-interview we did, is really you could have switched the subtitle and the title. Like, they're so interchangeable. And, uh, you know, for you, it was deciding which one goes on top. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and which, you know, which, which is more representative of me and then mm -hmm. just understanding, you know, kind of like we talked about before, there's people who see the world in more of an ag ag aggressive or, you know, kind of a, a more forward thought and they'll think, okay, transform from order taker to quota breaker. Like that's the one. And then people who will be more attracted to selling with authentic persuasion. So yeah. So like that combination, like you told me before, like having both of those is, mm -hmm. is great. So, and it feels right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Jason. This has been really awesome. How can people connect with you? If they've listened to this and they're like, oh, I, I've got to hear more from this guy. <laughs> yeah, so the best thing to do is go to my hub for all of my links. So you can go to jasoncutter.com, J-A-S-O-N-C-U-T-T-E-R.com. On there, I have like just, just a portal and a hub to my consulting website, the Authentic Persuasion website, where you can find me on LinkedIn. Also, and I didn't mention this last time, but there's also a way to book a free sales power call with me. Get on the phone. Obviously, I love talking about sales. And if it's something I can help somebody with or a direction I can point, them or if I have a program you know from my online program to my individual coaching and consulting I I will tell you obviously I <laughs> I live by what I do and if it's a good fit and I think it could benefit somebody I'll tell you if not you know I'll point you in the dress, best direction but no matter what I love talking about sales you can also find my podcast so I have a podcast called the sales experience podcast uh, you can find it everywhere um, but if you go to the Jason Cutter site there's a link for it there too Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been Jason Cutter and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. Thank you so much for listening to the Author to Authority podcast. I have a free gift for you. I'd like to invite you to download a sample of my newest book, Author to Authority, coming out this year. 
If you enjoy the podcast, you will enjoy learning how becoming an author can change not only your life, but your business as well. Go to www.authortoauthority.com forward slash free dash sample. So that is www.authortoauthority.com forward slash free sample. Have a great day and stay safe.